I also want to read this morning from the very end of Ecclesiastes. This is Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 13 and 14. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we do ask that you would speak to us words of wisdom and love this day. Words of love that will drive out fears we should not have. Words of wisdom that will lead us to fear you as we should. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen. What do you fear the most? What are your deepest fears? We all have fears, even if we don't like to admit them or talk about them. But what are your greatest fears? You know, some people fear death, your own death, perhaps, uh, or perhaps the death of someone you love. Uh, Some people fear public speaking. Uh, I've seen surveys that show that people fear public speaking more than they fear death. Uh, which means at any funeral, somebody would rather be in the casket than giving the eulogy, I guess. I don't know how that works. Uh, some people's fears focus on money. You know, there are always problems with money. Either you have too much or not enough. And so fears around money are, well, I have money to make ends meet. Or how will I keep the money I have? A lot of fears gravitate around money. Some fear getting sick, getting some dreadful disease. Some fear being alone. Uh, Others fear never getting married. Uh, Some fear losing a job. Let me ask you this. Where does God fit into your fears? It used to be that a devout Christian man would be described as a God-fearing man. Uh, That's language I think we have lost. I think this is perhaps one of those places where we would do well to recover that old-time religion, as old-fashioned as it sounds. I think there's something really good about that. Do you fear God? Are you a God-fearing man, a God-fearing woman, a God-fearing child? Were you fearful in coming to church today? Was there any fear about coming here this day? Were you fearful about coming to church this day? Were you just a little bit nervous? about meeting God here today, meeting in God's presence? Did you tremble just a little bit when you walked through those doors back there? Did your knees knock just a little when you came into this sanctuary this morning? Do you think there's anything dangerous about meeting with God? Anything dangerous about being here this morning? One of my favorite book series, of course, it's almost everybody's favorite book series, or one of their favorites, is uh, The Chronicles of Narnia, and particularly The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis. And it's a really familiar passage, but I think it captures for us so much. I want to give you a little taste of it. This is the first time the Pevensey children, Susan and Lucy and Peter and Edmund, hear about Aslan. They're at the home of Mr. and Mrs. Beaver as they're talking animals. Uh, in Narnia. And this is how the conversation goes. They hear about Aslan, and Susan asks, Who is Aslan? Aslan, said Mr. Beaver. Why, you don't know? He's the king. <clears throat> Lucy asks, Is he a man? Aslan, a man, said Mr. Beaver sternly. Certainly not. I tell you, he is the king of the wood and the son of the great emperor beyond the sea. Don't you know who is the king of the beasts? 
Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, dearie, and make no mistake, said Mr. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell him. That passage from Lewis, I think, captures so well what this is all about. Nobody could meet Aslan without their knees knocking. Can you meet God without your knees knocking? Do we see God as dangerous? I think one of the greatest problems in the church today, in the world today, is nobody seems to think God is dangerous. We treat God as if He were always and only safe. But God is dangerous. Look at what Jesus has to say in those words we read from Luke 12. Do not be afraid of those who can only kill the body and no more. Fear Him who has the power to kill and then to cast you into hell. Jesus says, don't fear men. All they can do is kill the body. Don't fear men. Fear God. God is far more dangerous than any man. God is far more dangerous than men. Or consider another passage, Hebrews chapter 10, which describes those who fall away from the faith and what they can expect. Hebrews 10 says, they have nothing but a fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will destroy the enemies of God. It goes on and says, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Hebrews 10, like Luke 12, is a passage that stirs up fear, dread, terror. Franklin Roosevelt was famous for saying, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. But in truth, the only thing we have to fear is the Lord Himself. He is the one we must fear. So often these days when people in the church discuss the fear of God, the first thing they'll tell you is, well, fear doesn't actually mean fear. Fearing God doesn't actually mean being afraid of Him. You're not supposed to be afraid of God. Well, now I want to say to you, when I think the Scripture is backing me up, fear means fear. God is to be feared. There are ways in which we must fear God. Reverent trembling and knees knocking are not out of place when coming into God's presence. Fear is a crucial aspect of our response to God. Because God is dangerous. In fact, it is dangerous to not see God as dangerous. To fear God means you know who God is. And you know, God is not to be trifled with. God is not to be taken lightly. You cannot be flippant towards God. He's not a cosmic teddy bear or a cosmic Santa Claus. To fear God means you know He has power over you. That He could justly cast your body and your soul into hell, into everlasting destruction and torment. To fear God means you are filled with dread at the thought of displeasing Him. Because you know He is infinitely worthy of your service. And sins against Him are infinitely worthy of punishment. 
To fear God means you know God is God. You recognize the Godness of God. That God is God and there is no other like Him. He is utterly unique and utterly worthy. We're to fear God because He is fearful. He is worth fearing. He is worthy of reverence. To fear God means you know He is sovereign, that He rules over all, that He controls all, that all power is His. It means you know that He is just and righteous and holy and good. The fear of the Lord is a constant theme throughout the Scriptures, not just in the Old Testament, as is sometimes thought, but in the New Testament Scriptures as well. In fact, there's total consistency here from Old Testament to New Testament. And one thing, of course, we do see is that there are different types of fear, some of which are appropriate for us, some of which are not if we are trusting in Christ. It's interesting. One of the first human emotions described in Scripture is fear. After Adam and Eve sin in Genesis 3, we know the account, they eat of the forbidden tree, the Uh, The tree God said they were not to eat of. After they have done this, God comes to the garden and calls out, where are you? And Adam says, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I hid for I was afraid. There it is, that fear, that dread, that terror. Now, should Adam have been afraid? Should he have been fearful of God at that point? Oh, you bet. He should have been very fearful. He should have been terrified. He had nothing but the fearful expectation of judgment. Nothing but the fearful expectation of God's judgment against him. Later in the book of Genesis, God is identified as the one who is to be feared. That the name for God is fear. The feared one. In Genesis 31, Jacob swears by the fear of his father Isaac. God's name is fear. The fear of Isaac. The fear of Israel. He wants to be known as the one who is to be feared. You see this in the book of Exodus. The Egyptian midwives were commanded by Pharaoh to kill the Jewish baby boys. But they refused. And indeed, they deceived Pharaoh. They lied to Pharaoh because, as Exodus puts it, they feared God. Because they feared God more than they feared Pharaoh, they obeyed God rather than Pharaoh. You always obey the one you fear the most. They disobeyed Pharaoh in order to obey God because they feared God more than they feared Pharaoh. See, fearing God made them fear less. Fearing God kept them faithful, kept them walking in a path of righteousness, even at great personal risk and personal cost. The midwives did not fear the tyrant because they feared God alone. And God rewarded their fear. It goes on in Exodus chapter 1 to say God rewarded them by giving them families of their own. He greatly blessed them because they feared Him and did what was right. In Exodus chapter 20, when Israel is out Mount Mount Sinai receiving the law, receiving the Ten Commandments, as the mountain is covered in lightning and balls of fire, as the, the thunder is rolling down and there is smoke covering the mountain, Moses says, do not fear, for God has come to test you, that His fear may be before you, that you may not sin. Moses, in effect, is saying, don't fear this phenomena. Don't fear the thunder and the fireballs and the lightning and the smoke. No, fear God. 
He is the one you should fear. Fear God so you will not sin against Him. This is a fear that drives obedience and a fear that drives out sin. It's a fear that makes us faithful. In fact, I think that's worth exploring a little bit more. What is the connection that Moses is making between fearing God and not sinning? It's not just the fear of God's punishment, though that may enter into the equation, but it's really the fear of God himself. Because if you read through Exodus as a whole, what you see is fearing God means recognizing who God is. Fearing God means recognizing the glory and the beauty and the goodness and the worthiness of who God is. To fear God means you recognize His greatness and His authority over you. And you recognize His goodness and His mercy and the love He has shown you. And so now in turn, you will obey Him. Fearing God means you reckon with who God is. Fearing God means you fear displeasing Him more than anything else. And why do you fear displeasing Him? Again, not just because you fear punishment, but because you love Him. You love Him the most. You love Him supremely. You love Him in a unique way. See, one thing you find all throughout Scripture is fearing and loving go together. Fear and love go together. We might not think that. That may be odd for us to put those together. But fear really is the recognition of God's greatness, that He is worthy of our loyalty and our love. Fear means recognizing that God is worthy of our devotion. We are in such awe of God, we know we must serve Him. That's what it means to fear Him. Fear and love go together. It's what's called filial fear sometimes. It's, it's like the fear that a child has for his parent. You know how it is with a little child. A little child can love his dad and be in awe of his dad. He thinks his dad is just the greatest and he's in awe of what his dad can do. And he's in awe of his father's authority over him. And yet he loves his father as well. This fear doesn't push him away. It draws him in. He recognizes his father's power and authority as well as his goodness and his grace. All of that goes together. It's a package. And so it is here. To fear God means to revere him, to respect him, to hold him in the highest regard, to be in awe of who he is. And that's what Moses is commanding. That kind of fear. That's what's commanded in the law. It's fear that's compatible with love and with joy. You see this in Psalm 2, verse 11. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Fear and joy and trembling all mixed together. Psalm 118, verse 4. Let those who fear the Lord say, His steadfast love endures forever. Fearing God and proclaiming His eternal love go together. Fearing God and recognizing His love. This is a fear that's even compatible with friendship. With the intimacy of friendship, Psalm 25, 14, the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear Him. God calls those who fear Him, my friend. Those who fear God are friends with God. We experience friendship with God. This is a fear that embraces God's mercy and God's forgiveness. Indeed, it means we are in awe of God's mercy. We are in awe of God's forgiveness. Psalm 130 says, with you there is forgiveness that you might be feared. 
I fear you because you have forgiven me. Psalm 31:19 says, "How great is your goodness towards those who fear you and take refuge in you." We might think if we fear God, we're going to run away from him. But no, the psalmist says that we fear God, we will run to him and make him our refuge. That's why fearing God leads us to not sinning against him. Because fear recognizes who God is. When you consider who God is, Fear is the only appropriate response. In the book of Deuteronomy, fear is connected with worship. Deuteronomy 6.13, It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve or worship. By His name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, for the Lord your God is a jealous God. Why worship God alone and shun all the idols? Because you fear God. Fear is worship. Fearing God is worshiping God. C.S. Lewis said, fear is a form of worship. What you fear, you revere. And that reverence is a form of worship. It's a form of praise. Indeed, throughout Scripture, fear is connected with acts of worship. Hebrews 12 describes the church's worship in the heavenly sanctuary, and then it concludes this way. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us worship God with reverence and godly fear. That's what must characterize new covenant worship. He's actually contrasting old covenant worship with new covenant worship, and his conclusion about new covenant worship is we are to worship God with reverence and godly fear. New covenant worship in the heavenly sanctuary is described in terms of reverence and fear. In Deuteronomy 4, we find that the teaching uh, of Israel, teaching Israel to fear God, is really the whole purpose of the Torah. It's really the whole purpose of the law. The law was given so that Israel might fear. God says, gather the people to me. And I will let them hear my words that they may learn to fear me all their days and their children. God says, gather the people and I will speak to them. I am not going to remain silent. I will speak to them. Why does God speak to us? So that we might fear him. And so that we might teach our children to do the same. If you teach your children anything, teach them to fear God. That was the whole point of the law. God spoke to the people so they would fear Him and teach their children to do the same. Indeed, whenever Scripture sums up righteousness, human righteousness, it is described as fearing God. In the Psalms again and again, the blessed man is the man who fears God. And when Scripture sums up wickedness, when it sums up human depravity, it is described as a refusal or a failure to fear God. To not fear God is the essence of sin. It is the essence of rebellion against God. When qualifications for officers, for those who will rule in the church, are stipulated in Scripture, it says again and again, choose men who fear God. Choose God-fearing men. There it is. Those are the kind of men you want ruling over you because the fear of God will lead them to rule in righteousness and in wisdom. Job, of course, is one of the most righteous men to have ever lived. Job is described as a man who is righteous and who fears God. And it's real clear in Job chapter 1 that his outward obedience is an expression of his inward fear. Because he fears God inward in his heart, he obeys God outwardly in his actions. 
Gentiles under the Old Covenant, Gentiles who came to trust in Israel's God, were known as God-fearers. And you see this into the book of Acts. And then in in, in Acts chapter 9, all believers are described as those who live in the fear of the Lord. Fearing God is simply synonymous with trusting Him in the right way. A posture of fear before God includes a posture of trust. Loving God, worshiping God, rejoicing in God, relying on God. All of these are aspects and dimensions of fearing Him, of seeing Him for who He is, seeing His greatness. By contrast, when the psalmist wants to sum up human sinfulness, he says there is no fear of God before their eyes. And in Romans chapter 3, when Paul is giving a, 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 a litany of quotations from the Old Testament that describe human sinfulness, that's the one that caps it all off. That's kind of the, 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 the sum of it all. How do you sum up human depravity? There's no fear of God before their eyes. They're blind to who God is. They can't see who God is. And so they don't fear Him. In Jesus' parable in Luke 18, when He wants to describe the wicked judge, He refers to him as one who did not fear God or care for men. Again, the essence of man's depravity is not fearing God. A refusal to fear God, to see God for who He is, to see Him danger and all for who He is. And again and again, we see God blesses those who fear Him. Psalm 112.1, Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in His commandments. So fearing God and delighting in His Word Go together. Psalm 128.1 Blessed is the man who fears the Lord and walks in his ways. And it goes on to describe the family life of this God-fearing man. And again, by contrast, those who don't fear God are cursed. That's Psalm 36, which starts off, there's no fear of God before their eyes. That same Psalm ends by saying, there the evildoers lie fallen. They are thrust down, unable to rise. Those who fear God live under His blessing. Those who don't will be cast down. They will be cast away, unable to rise. The fear of God is the mark of God's people. Now, one thing that is interesting in Scripture is that you not only have all of these commands to fear God, you've got these commands to fear, you also have a lot of commands to not fear. Time after time, when God comes to His people... He says, do not be afraid. So again, you have this throughout the Old Testament. You know, God says to Israel, do not fear for I am with you. Uh, when, when, when the angel shows up to Joseph uh, to tell him what's going to happen as Mary has this child that's been conceived by the Holy Spirit, the angel says, do not fear. The prophet Isaiah says to Israel, do not fear for God, for I am the Lord your God. Again, again, you have these commands to not fear. And so we might wonder, well, which is it? Even in that Luke 12 passage that we read, right after telling us that we ought to fear God because He has the power to cast us into hell, Jesus goes on to say, do not fear, therefore, you have more value than the sparrows. So even right there when He's saying to fear God, He's saying to not fear. So what is it? How do we put all of this together? Which is it? Are we supposed to fear or not fear? Well, again, we have to see there are different kinds of fear in view, different objects of fear in view. Probably the most important passage in this respect is the one we read from 1 John chapter 4. 1 John 4.18 says, Perfect love drives out fear. 
Perfect love chases fear away. What kind of fear does perfect love chase away? Well, the verse goes on to say fear that has to do with punishment. And of course, that punishment that we know we deserve because of our sin, that punishment is ultimately death. And so perfect love, the perfect love of God, the perfect love shown to us in Christ drives out fear of punishment. It drives out fear of death. We don't fear God's punishment. We don't fear death. Why? Because we are in Christ Jesus. And because Christ has taken our punishment. That passage in 1 John uses that term propitiation. It means He bore the wrath we deserve. He took our punishment. He suffered in our place, in the place of His people. On the cross, Jesus showed us the ultimate sacrificial love. He showed us perfect love. He died for us that we might live forever. That love, the love of the cross, the love of Christ drives out Fear. You know, all of our phobias, all of our fears about what might happen to us are really just variations on the fear of death. Really, all fear in one way or another is a fear of death. Think about all those things you might be afraid of. You know, not having enough money or being alone or all those things I mentioned at the beginning. All of those are really just variations on the fear of death. And First John is saying, you don't have to fear those things anymore. You can live fearlessly. You don't have to fear death in any form, in any form that it might touch you. Because God's perfect love drives out those fears. God's perfect love has overwhelmed death and therefore overwhelms all your fears. This means you don't have to come to church ready to be in God's presence, fearing that He's going to punish you for your sins. Because perfect love has driven out that kind of fear. You don't have to flee from God or hide from God like Adam and Eve did in the garden because your sins have been forgiven. You don't have to go into hiding. You don't have to run from God. You can run to this God. Because you know there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In Christ we know we can approach God in the most holy place in the heavenly sanctuary with boldness and confidence. Because Christ, through His death on the cross, has torn the veil and opened up a new and living way for us. You don't have to live in dread of death and damnation. You don't have to live in dread of hellfire. You don't have to live in bondage to the fear of death. You don't have to come to God with fearful groveling. Why? Because God's perfect law manifested in the cross of Jesus Christ, casts out these kinds of fears. You don't have to be overwhelmed by your fears anymore because the perfect love of Jesus has overwhelmed all your fears. Those fears that so stress your mind and your body, those are the very fears that God's perfect love seen in the cross drives out. But John is not saying in 1 John 4, that perfect love drives out reverence for God. No, in that sense, we still fear God as God. We fear Him because He is holy, because He is sovereign, because He is righteous. We fear Him because of who He is. We still fear God in the sense of standing in awe of Him and reverencing Him. Love does not chase away reverence for God, but it does drive away all those fears that would make us question God or distrust Him. 
See, when you fear something other than God, you're not only calling into question God's love, you're really calling into question His very existence. If God exists, why have this fear? And if you have that fear, aren't you saying by fearing this other thing that God must not exist? Your fears are really a challenge to the very existence of God. This is why throughout Scripture, faith and fear are opposites. Love drives out all those other fears, so now you fear God alone. And fearing God alone makes you fearless. This is just what Jesus, I think, is saying in Luke chapter 12. If you fear God, you know, one of the reasons we fear so many things is because we're not in control. That's really the source of your fears, right? Because you're not in control. If only I were in control, I wouldn't have to fear. Okay. But the very source of your fears, the fact that you're not in control, is also the solution to your fears. Because what is the solution? Jesus points it to you right here in Luke chapter 12. The solution to your fears is that you're not in control, and God is. The God who has numbered all your hairs and the God who is attentive even to the sparrows and who values you much more than he values the sparrows. Because God is sovereign. Because God is in control. Therefore, you don't have to fear. That's really the logic of the passage. Now, the place in Scripture where the fear of God is explored most fully is the wisdom literature especially Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. And here is really where we see what fearing God looks like in practice. What fearing God means in everyday life. Proverbs is wisdom for the young. It's a father teaching his son about the way God's world works. The principles and patterns built into the fabric of creation and providence. Ecclesiastes is wisdom for the old. It's more like a fireside chat with an old man, with your grandfather or somebody like that. Somebody who's seen it all, who's been there and done that and now through a lifetime of experience can share with you his accumulated wisdom. And Ecclesiastes shows that, yes, while there are certain patterns and principles in God's world, there's also much that is mysterious in God's providence. Much about God's ways of working in the world that we can't understand. And so, no, we can never really totally figure the world out. We can never grasp the world or control it any more than we can grasp the wind. Proverbs and Ecclesiastes go together. They're companion volumes. They complement and complete one another. So, for example, Proverbs tells a young man how to seek out a, a woman, lady wisdom, and marry her. Make her his wife. Ecclesiastes tells an older man how to live joyfully with the wife of his youth as they grow old together. Proverbs shows how simple the world can be. Ecclesiastes shows how complex the world can be. Proverbs shows how logical and orderly the world can be. Ecclesiastes shows how mysterious and incomprehensible the world can be. Proverbs shows moral patterns, moral cause and effect in the world. So you reap what you sow. You perform action A, that's going to lead to result B. And so the righteous will prosper and the wicked will suffer. Proverbs shows us that. Ecclesiastes shows us, well, yeah, that's true, but it's not the whole truth. It's actually more complicated than that. And really, the world is shrouded in mist and fog and vapor. And you can't see more than two feet in front of where you are. And so you just have to trust God to keep going. And sometimes the righteous are going to suffer while the wicked prosper. That happens too. 
And the truth is, we need both perspectives if we're going to be truly wise. Proverbs and Ecclesiastes go together. But then we have to ask, what holds them together? What links Proverbs and Ecclesiastes together? Well, look at how Proverbs begins and look at how Ecclesiastes ends. Proverbs 1 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And Ecclesiastes 12 says, this is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep His commandments for this is the whole duty of man. Fearing God, if we put these passages together, what do we see? Fearing God is the beginning and the end of wisdom. Fearing God is the alpha and the omega of wisdom. Fearing God leads to wisdom and wisdom leads you to fear God all the more. Fearing God is the beginning of wisdom and the conclusion of wisdom is fearing God. You've come full circle from back to where you started from Proverbs 1 to Ecclesiastes 12. But then we need to ask, what is the connection between fear and wisdom? What does fear of God have to do with wisdom? Why does fearing God lead to wisdom? Why does wisdom begin and end with this fear of God? There are all kinds of ways to explore that. And I just want to suggest a few to you this morning. Ways in which fearing God produces wisdom. When we fear and revere God, what does it do to us? It humbles us. It puts us in our place. It humbles us and makes us teachable. It makes us more willing to listen, more willing to receive correction. It makes us willing to submit ourselves to God's word because we know God knows better than we do. Fearing God makes us distrustful of ourselves and it makes us trust completely in him. You know, if you're conceited, if you are arrogant because you don't fear God, then you are in no frame of mind to learn what God wants to teach you. The proud will not listen to God. They will not listen to wisdom because they don't fear God. Proverbs 11.2 says, Wisdom is with the lowly. Because the lowly are the ones who are willing to listen. They revere God's word. They abase themselves and exalt God and exalt his word. Uh, Psalm 119.98 declares, Your commands make me wiser than my enemies and more insightful than all my teachers because I meditate on your statutes. There's wisdom. It's found in meditating on God's word. Humbling yourself. Submitting yourself to God's word. See, being proud and fearing God are opposites. Romans 11 says, do not become proud, but fear. Fearing God makes us distrustful of ourselves. It makes us trustful towards God. Fearing God makes us humble. It makes us attentive and responsive and submissive to God's word. And so don't think of fearing God as some additional responsibility on top of everything else. So in addition to all these other things, I've also got to fear God. No, as Ecclesiastes puts it, fearing God is the sum of the matter. It's the sum total of our responsibilities. By fearing God, we fulfill all of our other duties, all of our other responsibilities. Fearing God leads to wisdom because when we fear God, we fear God alone. And so fearing God makes us fearless in every other way. Fearing God is the death of all your other fears. Wisdom means you fear what you should fear and you do not fear what you should not fear. Wisdom means you value things rightly. You value highly those things that really do have great worth and you don't value so highly those things that aren't so valuable. 
And that's all learned through fearing God. Fearing God overcomes all our other fears. You will either be overcome by your fears or you will overcome your fears because you fear God. Which will it be? It's that simple. The fear of God kills all your other fears. But see, the reverse is also true. If you don't fear God, you will be afraid of everything else. If you don't fear God, you'll be a coward. You'll be overrun with fears. You will fear literally everything. As our, why does our, why is our society so filled with fears? People are absolutely afraid of everything in our world today. Why? It's because we don't fear God. We live in a world filled with phobias and filled with fears because we do not fear God as a society. Fearing God produces righteousness because when you fear God, what God says, what God thinks matters most. Refusing to fear God produces wickedness and foolishness because it blinds us to reality. It blinds us to what is really valuable. And this kind of fear in this kind of way really is a zero-sum game. It's either one fear or the other. Fear is going to drive out fear. You will either fear God or you will fear man. Either God's voice or man's voice will be the dominant voice in your life. If you fear God, you will not fear man. And if you fear man, you will not fear God. It's that simple. The psalmist says in Psalm 118, the Lord is on my side. I will not fear what man can do to me. If you do not fear God, you will live in fear of man. And if you do fear God, then you'll be fearless in the face of man. If the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, the fear of man is the beginning of folly. If the fear of God leads to wisdom, the fear of man leads to foolishness. The essence of wisdom, the essence of practical righteousness and skillful living is fearing God. Fearing God insulates us against various forms of the fear of man in our lives. What are some ways in which we show the fear of man? Well, peer pressure is a big one. That's an obvious one, right? And it's not just teenagers who experience peer pressure. Adults are also very much swayed by the crowd and very much want to fit in. That's the fear of man. When you just have to fit in at any cost. Fear of man shows up when we are overly sensitive to criticism, so much so that any kind of criticism just crushes us. We just can't handle it. When we're never able to say no when we should, or we're never able to confront someone when we should, because we have to be liked by everyone. That's the fear of man taking control of your life. Do you ever tell lies to make yourself look better? Do you ever flatter other people so they'll like you? That is the fear of man in your life. Are, are, are you just obsessed with other people's approval? Do you have to look a certain way and dress a certain way, project a certain kind of status or image? That is the fear of man taking over your life. These are all forms that the fear of man takes in our lives. When you've got to look a certain way, or be a certain way to have people's approval. That is the fear of man controlling you. We have to learn to care more about what God thinks than what people thinks. That is where wisdom comes from. That is the genesis, the beginning point of wisdom. When what God thinks matters more. When what God says matters most. God's word must be weightier and heavier and more glorious to you. His words must have more gravitas, more pull in your life than anybody else's words. 
The beginning of wisdom is fearing God. And the end of wisdom is fearing God. Fear God and keep His commandments. That is what your life is all about. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank You for giving us the fear of You. Help us to fear You, to revere You, to be in awe of You as we should, that we might fear no man, that we might live righteously before You. May the fear of You constantly be before our eyes, that we may reckon with You who You are in all Your greatness, all Your glory, all Your goodness. We pray that You would do this for us, that we might become wise, and in becoming wise, fear You even more. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen.